God's not interested in giving you faith just over one experience where you come through one crisis and, and you say, oh, thank God, I had faith, I got through it. Yes, you got through the first one. That was the first one, that's the Red Sea. And there are others that come behind it. It may not be the same kind, it'll be a different kind of a test. But he's not looking for situational faith, he's looking for a lifestyle. He's looking for hearts that are totally at rest. Come what may, my God is faithful. Come what may, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. For we which do believe enter into rest. You go into rest by simple childlike faith. When you make a commitment to believe God and not doubt him in any situation, there has to come a time when all the whys, why God, are gone. Until all those questions are gone, you say, I have a loving father. I stand here and rest, boasting only in the word of God and in his Holy Spirit that he's been faithful to give rest and peace to my soul. For he that has entered into his rest has also ceased from his own works as God did from his. In other words, you're not trying to be brave in the face of trouble, you're not trying to pump up some phony acceptance of your trial, no more worry about whether you're going to have strength to endure. Oh, folks, don't worry about whether when hard times come, you're being tested, whether you're going to faint or you're going to stand. Don't worry about that. Let me tell you why I seek God every day diligently in prayer. Let me tell you why I'm into this book every day, devouring it. Let me tell you why I fast regularly. Not because I have to preach in this pulpit. Not because I'm a minister called to preach. It's not only for fellowship. It's not only for getting to know his ways, it's beyond that. The reason I go into this book, the reason I speak, he's a national king. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. Well, I wonder, do you know it? David said, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. My king is a, is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoulder supply. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessings. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's impurely powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands in the solitude of himself. He's august and he's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He is the supreme problem in high criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He is the coral necessity for spiritual religion. He's the miracle of the age. He is the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one 
be an all-sufficient Savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meager. I wonder if you know him. Well, this is my king. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable, he's incomprehensible, he's invincible, he's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind, you can't get him off of your head, you can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Yeah! 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 That's my kid! Hallelujah, glory to you, Father. Lord, we come tonight in the name of Jesus, Lord, declaring that you are everything we just heard and so much more. Lord, you are indeed the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the King of righteousness. You are our righteousness. You are our provision. You are the Lord, the creator, the giver of life. You are the justifier and the just one. You are the king, the arbitrator. You are the intercessor. Oh God, you are the intermediary between God and man. You are love. You are abundance. You are judgment. You are justice. You are holiness. You are the resurrected one. You are the king upon the throne. You are holy. You are good. You are awesome. You are altogether lovely. You are incredible. Lord God, we come tonight to worship. We come to declare that you are the one, the true, the only God. That you are Father and you are Son and you are Spirit, O God. Oh, God, that you are the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Oh, God, but you're also our spiritual brother. Oh, God, you are, oh, God, the savior of my soul. You are the enduring one, the everlasting one. Oh, God, you are from everlasting to everlasting. You are the one who was in the beginning and shall be after the end. You are the one who before time began is, and when it's all wrapped up, still is. Oh, God, you are that one. Oh, God, who hung upon the tree, who bled and died, O oh God, for me. You are that one, O oh God. 
who makes men righteous. You are the sanctifier. You are the deliverer. You are the cleanser, the washer. You are the redeemer, the empowerer. Oh God, you are everything we could ever need and more. Oh God, you are our melody at midnight, our song in the storm, the shatterer of our shackles, the deliverer of the captives, the opener of the prison doors. You are the one who sets the captive free. You are freedom. You are joy. You are rejoicing. You are deliverance. You are holiness. You are awesome, God. And we worship you tonight, Lord God. Oh, God, we come into this place tonight just to give you glory, just to give you honor, Lord God, just to thank you, Lord, for everything you are and everything you've done. And oh, God, we love you. Our love, our love, I love your presence. Well, I love, I love, I love you, Jesus. Well, I love, I love, I love your presence. Father, we love you, and we welcome you to come. Inhabit the praises of your people tonight. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, brothers, sisters, friends, welcome to this April the 20th edition of Church Without Walls, this Easter edition. We're on the verge of Easter morn. Coming in to Easter night, Jewish calendar speaking, Sunday begins at night. Father, thank you for being with us. And friends, family, we thank you for joining us tonight. Let's go to worship. We're going to start with a resurrection medley, very appropriate for this time of year. Let's go to worship.
it's up in the chat room. Come on.
our Christ has robbed the grave. Live in five seconds. Four, three, two, one. Resurrected King. Resurrecting me. songs called I got saved if you're saved if you've been born again this is your anthem there is a river Sing, of gladness on. that pours from Emmanuel's face the sinner was plunged beneath the flood and God saved come on come on come on since then I walk, walk in, in forgiveness. forgiveness All my guilt was erased All of my guilt was erased The chains of the past are broken the at last The chains of the past are broken at last I got, I saved. got saved Oh, I got saved I'm undone by the mercy of Jesus
listen, I know right about now we, we should be into the word already, but we're, we're going to go one more song of worship because, oh, God, he's good, he's good, he's awesome. Touched by a fire. Let's sing this, and then we're going to be going to the word of the Lord. Um, we're going to be in the gospel of Luke chapter 24. We're going to hit a couple of other scriptures besides that, but we're going to mainly anchor ourselves in Luke chapter 24. Prepare yourselves. Let's get ready. Touched by a fire.
Alléluia. Alléluia. Oh, Alléluia. Glory to you, Father. Glory to you, Father. Glory to you, Father. Surely and truly, indeed, oh God, we have been touched, oh God, by a fire, an everlasting fire, a fire that is is inextinguishable, a fire, oh God, that is supernatural, a fire that consumes the wood, the hay, and the stubble, a fire, Lord, that takes all the stumbling stones out of the way, a fire, oh God, that breeds passion, a fire, Lord God, that breeds a purity, a fire, Lord God, that clarifies, illuminates, leads, and guides the fire of the presence of the living God, oh Lord, and we come tonight, Lord, to honor you, to worship you. Oh Lord, and we come, oh God, to your throne to know if you have anything to say to us tonight. Oh fathers, we gather and we remember the death, burial, and resurrection of the Christ. Oh God, as we come to remember, oh God, that you are holy and wonderful, that we have been redeemed at such a great and awesome cost, oh God. We come, oh Lord, to bow down and say that you are wonderful and worthy and marvelous, oh God. And we ask you to speak to us, Lord. I ask, O oh God, that every ear would be opened, O oh God, to hear, that every eye would be opened to see, that every heart would be transformed into fertile ground, O oh God. O oh God, that in accordance with your word tonight, O oh God, your word would be like fire, O oh God. O oh God, and like the hammer that shatters every stone of stumbling, every rock of offense, every barricade, every barrier, O oh God, that would keep us from the living God. O oh God, tonight let, shatter, let shackles be shattered, Oh God, oh God, let bondages be broken, oh God. Let the captive go free. Let the weak say I'm strong. Let the poor find provision in Christ. Let the sick be healed, oh God. Let those in need, oh God, find the response at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ tonight. Oh God, may my words not be mine but yours, oh God. Speak, oh God, through this vessel, oh God. Animate me, guide me, oh God. Every word, every intonation, oh God. Every syllable, every enunciation, Lord God. Let it go forth with power to transform, power to deliver, power to make free, power, oh God, to give grace and liberty to the hearer. Oh God, I ask this, Lord, in the only name that could ever make it possible, that wondrous, glorious, amazing name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen and amen. Brothers and sisters, as I said, we're going to be going to the Gospel of Luke in just a moment. But before I go there, I want to remind you that both in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24, and in Hebrews 12, 29, quoting Deuteronomy, we are told, we are reminded that the Lord, our God, is a consuming fire. A consuming fire. Sin, unholiness, unforgiveness, wrath unrepentance, evil, lust, and so on, and etc., cannot abide in his presence. He's a consuming fire. Not a smoldering flax. 
not a wee ember somewhere, but a rushing, mighty, consuming fire. And in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 33, we read of two disciples who encountered Christ on the road to Emmaus after the Lord's resurrection and came face to face, or rather heart to heart, with the consuming fire that is the Lord, our God. You see, this is after Jesus' death, after his burial, and just after his resurrection. The disciples, well, the, the 11 were, initially everyone was scattered. The 11 have come back together. There's been incredible news delivered by Mary and, and Magdalene and some other women, and it, it, it's just unbelievable to them. But Peter and John have rushed to confirm and the body of Christ is missing. The grave is empty. Uh, I want to set the stage for you here so you understand what's going on. Yet, and, and we can judge them if we want, but keep in mind, all they have right now is an empty tomb. Two angels met Peter and John and told them of the resurrection. The women saw some evidence, but only Mary has seen, Mary Magdalene has seen the resurrected Christ. And so they're having a hard time dealing with all this and they don't know what to do. And there are two traveling on a road to Emmaus. They're leaving Jerusalem. They're walking away from the epicenter of our faith. They're walking away from the place of religion and the center of worship. And they're walking away from the place where he was crucified. And they're trying to make sense of it all. And as they're talking and conversing and applying the best of their intellectual powers and their, their, their knowledge and understanding of scripture and trying to make sense of it all, who should meet them on the road? None other but the resurrected Christ. However, Jesus is veiled to them. They, they don't see who he really is. And he walks with them and asks what they're talking about and they begin to tell him. And, and they almost seem shocked. They treat him as though he's the one who doesn't understand what happened when the reality is they don't understand. Ever been face to face with someone who has no real understanding of what the scripture really means, but they're trying to ridicule you about what it says? See, they had logos, they had no rhema, they had no understanding, they had no deep spiritual awakening as to what was going on. So anyway, as they begin to tell Jesus these events, they reveal their hearts, the fear and the doubt. You see, we thought that he was the Messiah. We thought he was the chosen one. We thought he was the redeemer. We thought he was the son of God. But they're speaking in the past tense. They're not so sure anymore. 
and they reveal to him that some incredible things have happened, but they don't know how to deal with it, and they don't know if they should really believe this, and what does all this mean? And right about verse 25, Jesus joins the conversation. Then he, being Jesus, said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expanded unto them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone farther. If you're underlining in your Bible, highlight that in verse 28. He made as though he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it, and brake it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. When Christ again did the last thing they saw him do, when again he broke the bread and they were reminded of the Last Supper and the last time they celebrated the Passover with him and the reminder, this is my body which is broken for you. Their eyes were open. And they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us, by the way, and while he opened to us the scripture? Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us, by the way, and while he opened to us the scripture? Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us, by the way, and while he opened to us the scripture? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures. I want to talk to you tonight about the power of the resurrection I want to come at this at a very different angle than I've ever discussed it. I want to link it to a message I've preached in the past. Some of you may have heard me speak before, either preaching that message or as a subtopic to a message, speak on the issue of fire-baptized preaching. You could kind of call this fire-baptized preaching part two. I want to speak to you again about the power of the resurrection. You see, what is going on here as Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus? It's a first fruits of a promise in Scripture and a first fruits of what's to come from the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a combination of the two. You see, 
Back in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 33 to 34, we read the following. The Lord God spoke speaking, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward hearts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them. Unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquities, and I will remember their sin no more. You see the amazing thing that Jesus accomplished on the cross of Calvary. There, the one man, Jesus Christ, the God-man, Jesus Christ, paid the penalty for all of our sin. There is not a sin that you can sin. There is not a mistake that you can make. You see, the word sin is an archer's term. It simply means to miss the mark. The mark of God is perfection, to walk in perfection of heart and mind and body. Not only not to do wrong, but to always choose to do right. Not only just to avoid the wrong and do the right in your physical, but to do the same in your thinking and in your attitudes and in your emotions. Therefore, no matter how close we come, we are always missing the mark. See, sometimes we hit the target, but we're never hitting dead center. And often in life we stumble and miss the target altogether. We sin. But when Jesus died upon that cross, he became the propitiation for our sin. It's a big fancy word, for he took our place. He became the righteous payment. And you might ask, how can one man pay for all the sins of all the people? See if Jesus was just a man, a righteous man, a good man, who lived perfectly under the law. Then he could pay the price for one man a life for a life. It's fair according to the law. But being the God-man, being Christ, being the Son of the living God, being the Word of God made flesh, this Jesus then, his life is of infinite value because he's God. And so his death can pay not for one or two or five or 30 or 50 or 100, but for every life, your life, listening to me right now. See, it's not a question of you making Jesus the Lord of your life. It's a question of recognizing that he already is such. He already paid the price. You have been bought with a price. And you are not your own. Jesus accomplishes this. But God says that as part of that covenant, because sin has been removed, because iniquity, because our failings, because our weaknesses have been put under the cross and have been put away, 
because the wrath of God has been appeased and accepted and satisfied at the cross. Therefore, the way is open for every man and every woman, for every brother and every sister, for every heart to know the Lord their God. To no longer need an intermediary. To no longer need a man or woman to say, come, know the Lord. But you can open up your Bible. You can read about Him for yourself. You can open up the Scriptures and come to know the Christ. Not just intellectually, not just head knowledge. But you could read. Come on. Is there anybody listening and you've ever been reading Scripture and your heart began to burn? It's the fulfillment of scripture. He he said, I I will put my law in their inward parts and write it on their hearts. That burning is like the fire, the finger of God that blazed like fire on the Mount Sinai as Moses received the law and it burned the words into the rock. That same finger now writes upon our hearts. And when we hear scripture elucidated and, 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 and exegeted properly under the anointing of God and the Holy Spirit is flowing, again our hearts can burn as sin is being burned out, as rebellion is being removed, as our excuses are being taken away, as scars and damage and hurt and pain that have been stored for years and years are being burned away and freedom is being given. Hallelujah! See, this is that that happened on the Emmaus Road. Christ, the Word made flesh, is now opening the Word. But He's doing it on the other side of glory. He's doing it on the hallelujah side. He's doing it on the resurrection side. And there's greater power now than there's ever been in the words that He speaks. And their hearts began to burn. He may not have been jumping and shouting and hooping and hollering. See, though, our verbal calisthenics, and I know I'm one that's given to them. The passion of my preaching is not the fire. The raising and the lowering and the intonations that I use and the vocalizations and the, and the it's, 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 that's just passion and emotion, but that's not the fire. The fire comes from the throne room of God as those words are literally etched upon our heart and life is given. It's transformative. It's incredible. This is happening on the Emmaus Road. It's going to happen after that. You see, it's the fulfillment of a promise to them and the promise is also to us. This is the birth of fire-baptized preaching. Not dead letter and legalism. Not memorization and wrought trials and self-discipline. Though we have need of that last one. This is Christ in me, the hope of glory. 
This is not the word external and I stick it on my wall and say, I'm going to try to do that. It's the word internal written on my heart and I am that. You see, the Christian doesn't live a holy life because they're trying to attain to some standard. The Christian lives a holy life because he's being sanctified. She's being transformed. She's being purified. She's being made holy. So while the commandment says, you shall have no other God beside me, the Christian does not avoid idolatry because the commandment out there says, try to avoid these other gods. The commandment written upon my heart lets me know there is only one God and there is no other. And even if I wanted to, I couldn't bow before a statue. I couldn't make a little symbol and pour a little something or another on me. I couldn't receive your idol. I couldn't pray to your statue. I couldn't light that candle. Even if I wanted to, my heart burns for Christ. And it does not have room for another. Fire baptized preaching takes the word and writes it upon your heart and you don't change afterwards because you're trying to aspire or ascribe or attain to some new level. But because it's written in your heart, your heart compels you to do it. Come on, if you've ever been in love, you know what I mean. See, loving someone takes work and energy and effort. But when you're in love, Your heart is so given that you don't even think about it. You just do things. You call them and you write them and you write poetry and sing songs and spend hours. Come on, anyone anyone ever been in love? And you were on the phone hours and hours and just fell asleep. And it was enough to just hear the bated breath on the other end as they slept. And when the word is written upon our hearts, our love is such that we're like John leaning upon the master's breath and it's everything in me just to hear his heart. Boom, 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 boom. Just to hear the beating heart of the Christ, I'll follow. Just to hear the bated breath of the Christ, I'll follow. Just to know that he's breathing, I'll follow. Just to walk where he walked, I'll follow. Just to be where he is, I'll follow. Fire baptized preaching. Is more than passion, it's purpose, it's power, it's transformation, it's breathing new life into the hearers. It's Peter's Pentecost sermon and 3,000 souls were added to the church in a single day. It's Peter and John preaching the first three-point sermon ever. Silver and gold have I none. Number two, but such as I have, I give unto you. Number three, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And a lame man is put back on his feet. And one who was locked outside the temple, one who had to sit at the gate as others went into worship, is now leaping and dancing and jumping before God. Fire baptized preaching is Paul's statement that my teaching and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and power so that your faith will not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Fire baptized preaching. Fire baptized preaching. 
fire baptized preaching. It's the testimony of the early church that they were turning the world upside down, but really the world was already upside down, and so they're turning it right side up and getting people to see the glory of the living God. Fire baptized preaching is Jonathan Edwards and David Brainer. It's the Scottish Covenanters. It's George Whitfield, David Wilkerson, A.W. Chozier, uh, Leonard Ravenhill, B.H. Clendenin, etc., etc. It's men and women who transformed the world, rewrote history, and changed the course of history. Not just for the church, for the world. Oh God, do we have need of it again. We have such desperate need for fire-baptized preaching once again. We have such need for the resurrection power in our preaching again. But we live in a day of programs and prestige, of sideshows and manifestations, and of comfort. We live in an age of God's man, of power for the hour, where you have to write a a nice book with a glossy cover with that picture-perfect smile, the face all done up in makeup, in the perfect pose and an expensive suit to sell a book. And if you don't have a book and you don't have a tape and you don't have some special water and you don't have some something or another, some cut-up handkerchief or something to sell us, we won't open our pulpit to you because after all, at the end of the day, we've become glorified businessmen and it's more about merchandise and making money and selling a t-shirt and selling a, 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 a book and selling this and selling that than it is about preaching the gospel. And so we have to fly thither and yarning, go to conferences, mega this and omega that and mega this thing and mega that thing and the new thing and the breath thing and the breath thing and the fire thing and the thing that's here and the thing that's there, hundreds of dollars being spent in hotels and this and that and you've got to buy the t-shirt and the water bottle and the coffee mug and etc and etc and etc just so you can think that you had an experience. And none of it changes anything. And none of it changes the heart. And none of it liberates a captive. None of it sets anyone free. None of it ends the addiction. None of it ends the pain. None of it ends the sickness. None of it ends the horror of living a life less than what you were called to. We need fire baptized preaching again. We need the fire and the thunder. We need the Lord to come like fire and a hammer that shatters a rock one more time. We need it desperately, church. We need it desperately. As it is in Western society, the church has been thrown out of the educational field. First, we were thrown out of public education, and then we've been thrown out of higher education, and we're being thrown out of the medical field, and being thrown out of this field and that field, being pushed out of business, being pushed out of politics, until we are rendered as a little, in meaningless, insignificant subculture of what it means to be American or British or some other thing. But my God, there was a time where there wasn't a politician who didn't look over his shoulder to know what the church was preaching. There was a time when the world could be changed. The American Revolution was born out of the first great awakening because the preachers preached men and women had courage in their souls to break free of an empire. 
The second great awakening brought the civil war and freed millions of black slaves so that a people can be who God called them to be once again. The civil rights movement came out of the church. Lest they tell you differently. So much, so much, so much in history has been wrought by the church standing up and being the church. But today, no, no. We want self-help seminars. We want cutesy little words and phrases. We live in the age of the self-help, follow three principles and be like me. We want steps and programs, something we can merchandise and sell. We want bigger numbers because to us numbers means everything. But if you keep in mind, Jesus, though he preached to multitude, only had 120 in the upper room. He only had 12. He fully poured into constantly, and one of them betrayed him. Of the 11 remaining, he only had three who were in his inner circle, who he trusted to pray with him the night he was to be betrayed. And of them, only one was at his crucifixion. But we think numbers tell the tale of power, but it's not about the numbers. There are ministries and ministers that are little known around the world and yet they are making a massive difference for the kingdom of God. Hear me, maybe you're a pastor listening and I want to encourage you. You turn on the TV and you see this congregation of thousands and this man living in a multi-million dollar mansion and you say, what about me? No, sir, stay the course. Stick your ground. Hold on to what God has given you. Preach the word in season, out of season. Preach on sin, repentance, forgiveness. Preach the whole gospel. Preach healing. Preach revival. Preach the Holy Ghost. Preach holiness. Preach sanctification. Preach it all and Preach it with fire because you're making a difference. While those are just making people comfortable. And you might ask, Pastor P, if the church has known and had so much power, where then has the fire gone? When and how did it burn out? Why don't we have that fire baptized preaching as a normal experience every Sunday in every pulpit, every Saturday night, everywhere we go? Two verses. Tell the tale of the dry, dead religious lectures and self-help orations that have replaced fire baptized preaching in our day. And we're going to look at them through the lens of the encounter on the Emmaus Road with which we started. First verse is Luke eleven thirteen. Jesus speaking says to his disciples, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit 
to those who ask him. If you notice my emphasis, underline that. Your children, your heavenly father, who ask. And then in Psalm 2, verses 7 to 8. The father speaking to the son, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. These two verses combine to show us that the key to fire baptized preaching, the keys are intimacy and sacrifice. Let me expound a bit. You see, Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, you know how to give good gifts to your children. See, even an evil man wants to take care of his kids. I know drug dealing thugs. I have known in my life drug dealing thugs who would eat more easily put a man in a grave if they accept an apology from someone who bumped into him. Thugs who have no idea of the meaning of the value of life and yet they give good gifts to their children. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen drug addicts who care about nothing but their drugs but try to give something good to their children. See, there's something about relationship that even the man who has no sense of morality and no sense of right and wrong wants to do right by those he loves and who love him, who are in relationship with him, those who are his. He says, how much more will your heavenly father, your heavenly father, give the Holy Ghost to those who ask him? He gives the Holy Ghost to those who ask. But how, what is he? He's a heavenly father. See, unless there's a relationship, Unless there's a relationship, unless there's intimacy. So notice what happened on the Emmaus Road. Jesus is walking with them. He's opening scripture. He starts from Moses. He starts from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He starts with the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, the Torah. Then he goes to Havadah and he goes into the, the, the prophets and he goes into and he opens Isaiah, Jeremiah. Jonah, Obadiah, Habakkuk, etc., etc. He goes through them all. Daniel. He reveals the Christ. He reveals the need of the Christ to suffer. He reveals the need. And their hearts burned. But they could not see him. Their hearts burned, but they're still walking away from Jerusalem. Their hearts burned, but they're still walking away from the eleven and the other disciples. Their hearts burned, but they're still walking away from Golgotha and Calvary. Their their hearts burned, but they're still walking toward home and comfort. Their hearts burned, but they're still not willing to make a sacrifice. But then they get to where they're supposed to go. And Jesus makes as though he would continue onward. I told you earlier that would be important. And it's there that everything changes. They compel him to stay. 
Now remember, they don't recognize that this is a Christ. So this is a stranger. A fellow Jew, perhaps. A fellow believer, perhaps. But they don't know him. They don't know who he is. They, To their mind, they've never broken bread with him. It's getting late. They've invited him in to spend the night in their home. And they're sitting down to meet. Meaning they're sitting down for a meal. And there's sacrifice involved. They had to explain to their wives that there'll be extra company at the dinner table. And they, they have, come on, when you have a stranger spend the night in your house, there's some sacrifice involved. Not just because you're feeding him and not just because you're taking care of him. There's a level of trust that you're going to. And you're probably going to sleep with one eye open. Because after all, especially as men, we've got to protect our families. So we're trying to do the right thing and the hospitable thing. But we've also got to be a little alert because we don't know who this is. But they're willing to make the sacrifice because... Because the burning of their hearts by the word of God is so important. They must have more. And intimacy now is being developed. And now they're sitting and now they're talking and now they're introducing their families and now they're asking him about his and now they're breaking bread and they're eating from the same bread and from the same table because if you are what you eat and you and I eat the same then you and I are the same. And as the bread is broken and he gives thanks, Christos, their eyes are open and they can see the Christ. But it didn't come until there was intimacy. It didn't come until there was an intimacy that came through sacrifice. The sacrifice is necessary. See, that's what Psalm 2, 7 and 8 is saying. The father speaking to the son, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. What did Jesus do to ask for his inheritance? He came to earth, lived a life of perfect obedience, was betrayed, ridiculed, beaten, horribly mistreated, falsely accused beaten to within an inch of his life, forced to carry a cross, nailed to that cross, hung upon it for hours. He had to die sacrificially and in obedience. So what has happened to fire baptized preaching in our day? We lack both the intimacy and the sacrifice. You see, as long as we abide in a church that abides in the culture, and our culture today, oh man, there was an age where you see, because the, the, the culture followed the church, there was an age of rugged individualism in this nation. I'm speaking from the United States, from my international guests, and if you've never heard of rugged individualism, it was this idea that the individual had to make it on his own. That mama and daddy and family are always important and they're always going to be important. But you have to strike out on your own and you have to sacrifice. And if you're offered help, you take it, but you don't look for help when you don't need it. You take responsibility for your family. You take responsibility for your needs. You sacrifice, you sweat, you toil. And you do it till you die if necessary to give your family a measure of life that is valuable. 
that ethic came out of the Protestant work ethic, which came out of the Protestant Reformation, which came out of the understanding of Scripture. That God requires a people who are disciplined and who sacrifice. But today we live in a culture and the culture is leading the church where the culture says you have to be comfortable and the culture says that you're entitled. The culture says that, look, come on, we're debating this in our politic now. That everyone is entitled to free college education, that everyone's entitled to a certain level, uh, a, a certain standard of living and a certain pay, whether they work or not. That the government should automatically provide a salary to every human being at a certain standard, whether they work or not, whether they stay home or not. And by the way, not based on their ability, but whether or not they want to. And this sense of entitlement has made it into the church. And so instead of preaching about intimacy and sacrifice and taking up your cross daily and following the Christ, we hear sermons about how God wants to bless you and you're blessed and you're good. Listen, God is a good father. He's going to bless you. But if you're chasing the blessings instead of the blesser, if you're chasing after his hands instead of his face and his heart, if you're chasing the Lord for his pockets instead of for his purpose for your life, you missed everything about Christianity. That God blesses me and provides for me and takes care of my family and feeds me, that's secondary. That he loves me and he's called me to his service is primary. That I could sit at his feet and hear the word and grow, that's primary. My relationship with him, that's primary. Listen, I understand it. I'm a dad. My sons get stuff from me they don't ask for. My sons don't have to tell me, Daddy, would you go to the store, please, and buy us milk? We're going to be thirsty later. No, no. My wife and I see this, the, the, the fridge getting empty. We go. Likewise, God's going to take care of you. Listen to me. I'm not taking anything away from God as a blesser because Scripture even tells us that we're to forget not His blessings, that we're to count our blessings and forget not the Lord's benefits. So I know, yes, I know that the Lord is my provider. I know that he's my healer. I know that he's my help. I know that he's my strength. I know that he's my way maker. I know that he opens a door. But I'm not chasing after the open doors. And I'm not chasing after the open path. And I'm, not ch I'm chasing after him. I want him. I want him. I want to be like Peter if he's on the water in the middle of the storm. I don't want to be in the boat. The boat may be very nice provision for getting through the storm, but I want to be in the middle of the storm if that's where he is. I want to be in the fire if that's where he is. I want to be on the mountaintop when he's up there, and when he goes down into the valley, I want to be down there too. I want to be where he is. And as I chase after him, he'll take care of me. So I'm not taking anything away from God. He's a good father. But in chasing after the blessings, we've lost sight of God. We've stopped seeking intimacy. We don't have the same relationship. We have pastors who pray 10 minutes in a whole week. 
haven't read their Bibles in a month, but they went online and downloaded a PowerPoint sermon about stuff that has nothing to do with God, but makes you feel good about you. And so you'll come back week after week after week to hear how good you are and how wonderful you are and how God saw something good in you. Hear me, if God saw something good in you, he wouldn't have gone to the cross. He would have said, use that goodness, baby, and work it out yourself. I love the Lord because he saw the wretchedness in me. He saw everything broken in me. He saw everything a mess in me. He saw everything that could not ever be made right. And he loved me anyway and went to the cross for me anyway. And he delivered me and sanctified me and helps me and loves me. And oh God, is he awesome. And that's the difference. Men who are chasing after their next paycheck and the next marquee with their name on it will never bring fire baptized preaching because they're not chasing after God. Remember, who is the consuming fire? God is. I am not. My verbal calisthenics, my abilities and gifts, that's not the fire. He is. And if I have no intimacy, I have no fire. But intimacy cost me something. So if I'm not willing to make the sacrifice, I'm not able to have the intimacy. And if I don't have the intimacy, I don't have the fire. And if I don't have the fire, I'm wasting my time and yours. And we live in a world, please, oh, for the love of all things holy. We live in a world where people don't even know anymore what it means to be male versus female. Biologically, science is now leading the church. Science at least will tell us there are over 182 differences between men and women based simply upon that one chromosome that either says XY or XX. 182 differences in terms of speech patterns, thought patterns, the working of the brain, the working of the body, physiologically, psychologically, but we want to say there's no difference at all. Brothers and sisters in a world turned so upside down where right is wrong and good is talked about as evil. We need fire baptized preaching. We need to be able to speak with the authority of Christ so that when people hear us, they say likewise, did not our hearts burn? As he opened up the scripture to us. You're not going to argue your friends into the kingdom. You're not going to beat them intellectually. But there is a power from on high. There's a fire that consumes all their excuses and all their lies and all their debate and all their intellect and all of everything else. It's the fire of God. We need that fire again. So if you need that fire tonight, the power of the resurrection is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Translated into fire baptized preaching that when you share the gospel, human souls burn to be free. They burn with transformative, life-giving new birth. If you want that fire, Count the cost, pay the price, 
and regain that fire tonight. If that's you, wherever you are, stand to your feet. Stand to your feet and lift your hands. Stand to your feet and lift your hands. You know the things that have kept you from the fire. You know the laziness. You know the fear. You know the doubt. You know the television programs and radio programs, the political aspirations, the business dealings, etc. Whatever it is that's kept you from fire. Lift your hands and just offer it all up to God. I don't do this too often, but I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. It's, it's not the repetition of the prayer. Your heart has to mean it, but repeat after me. Say, Lord God, I love you. But I have not loved you enough. Father, there are things in the way. There are fears, there are doubts, there are questions, there are lusts and passions and addictions and laziness and other things between you and me. Lord, your word has come tonight like fire. It's come like the hammer that shatters a rock. And I ask you tonight, I, I give you permission tonight to do in my life what I have not been able to do for myself. Remove the stones of stumbling. Remove the rocks of offense. Remove the impediments that keep me from you. You are my Savior. You are my Lord and master you are my God but you are also my father you are my daddy and I need you tonight take me deeper Draw me closer. Make me to know you, God. Please, Lord. Make me to know you on levels I have not known you before. Oh, God. Please. Make me to know you in ways that I haven't in a long long, long time. In Jesus' name I ask this. Amen and amen.
Brothers, sisters, friends, we're going to worship for a moment. Um, we do have a live call-in line that is available to you. Um, if you have questions tonight or have need of individual prayer, I'll throw that up there first. That live call-in line is 646-721-9917. You're going to press option 1. Also, if this ministry has been a blessing to you, the Bible says that if we have sown spiritual fruit into your lives, it is right in the eyes of God that we also reap material things. If you would like to support the work of this ministry and give a gift, there are three ways that you can do so. All three ways are up in the chat room right now. You can do it electronically through our website, kqcministries.org, or using our email address with Pop Money Pay, Pal Quick Pay, KQC ministries at gmail.com or you can mail us the addresses up there we're going to worship for a moment if we have any callers we'll pray for them and if we do not we'll go rejoicing and knowing that our God is awesome and he is alive let's worship a little
comments over in the uh, chat room and no sister Brenda never 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 sick of you actually really really glad to have you along thank you sister um, but I want to pray I see sister Dandelion's comment and I know um, for those of you who are listening internationally the call-in is quite difficult um, at some point I got to work on linking my um, oh gosh now I'm forgetting the name of the app I'm sorry Baby brain, focused on my uh, children at times. But um, I know I've got a link in um, one of the apps that I have for international calling so that at some point I can make it easier for international callers to call in. But um, I do want to honor that prayer request. Sister Dandelion's asking for prayer. Um, Looking for direction, and it's a very common thing. You're getting ready to graduate. You have this education it's hard enough for those who are in the world, what do I do now? For those who are in the church, it's like, God, yes, I mean, look, I, I want to make a living and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I, I want to have a profession and there's nothing wrong with that. What's right about it is, Lord, I, I want to give these things to you. How do I use my talents and my training and for you? How can I be sure that I'm where you're putting me? But you see, the Bible says that God's word is a lamp onto our feet and a light onto our path. So the first thing, sister, read the word. We also have the promise of God that if we obey him, if we love his word, he will be like a voice before saying, come this way, follow me. He promises to go before us and to be our rear guard. So for everyone, Sister Maria, Sister Dandelion, and anybody else, whether it's a college graduation, change of life status, um, new career, whatever it is, if you're praying for direction, um, all I want you to do is to add your amen to this by just, if you're in the chat room right now, just say me too. And I want to pray for all those. If you're listening to this in the archives later, just extend your hand to God and say, me too, Lord. See, the word declares that a mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his path. And I've been a witness of that. Oh, listen, if I had completely planned my life, half the things that have happened, I never would have gone that way. So many directions I would not have taken, but oh, the glory, the glory, the glory of the journey and the lives that have been touched along the way. So I thank God that he leads and he guides and he provides. Let's pray. Father, you see these, Dandelion, Maria, Brenda, and others. Father, they need direction. They want to serve you. They're hungry to make their lives count for your glory. Father, they're like... uh, Nate Saint and, and, and Elliot and, and the others who prayed, Lord, we ask not a long life. 
though, as Martin Luther King pointed out, longevity has its value. But we want a life that counts, O oh God. We want a life that counts for your glory, that makes a difference. That when we die and we see you face to face, Lord God, we want to know that we will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And it's not about building empires. It's not about things like that, Lord. It's about day to day, the lives that we touch, the people who we change. Father, we want to work. We want to give our profession. We want to give our careers. We want to give our education. We want to give our resources, our families, our homes, our cars, everything we are and everything we have to you. But we know, Lord God, that there's a part of us that tugs at the reins. Even Jesus prayed in Gethsemane. Lord, if it's possible, take this cup away. But Lord, see, you had the breakthrough because you said, but nevertheless, not my will. Not the human will of this flesh that wants to save itself, not that. But your will, O oh Father, be done. So Father, tonight we say, here we are. Here are our lives, our bodies, our finances, our homes, our careers, our education, our intellect, our spirit, our bodies, our passions. Father, everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly, we wrap it up in one package. And we say, Lord, if you can use this, please do. Give us open ears to hear your still small voice calling this way or that. Close our ears and our minds to the lying voices that would lead us astray. Give us, O oh God, eagle-eyed tunnel vision to stay the narrow path, to love you, to serve you, to bring glory to your name. Father, I'm looking for direction too. I'm not just praying this for them. There's a new chapter opening. and We need to know what you want us to do and where you want us to go and how you want us to handle things. And Lord, there are new dreams and new visions you're beginning to give me. Thank you. Now guide me in the details. Father, likewise for each and every one of these. Give them clear vision. But give them also wisdom in the details. So that we might say with that great old song. Where he leads me I will follow. Where you lead me I will follow. Where you lead me, I will follow. I'll go with you, with you, all the way. Lord, lead us and guide us every step of the way. We are your children. And we desire 
to be useful in your hands. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Brothers, sisters, friends, what a great evening together. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, thank you for your patience over these last two weeks while we've been missing. Um, I, I do want to give a quick, quick report, um, and it's encouraging for some of you. We were talking about this today. Um, if you haven't noticed this yet, I'm not anti-conference, but I'm not big on conferences. I think we waste too much time with conferences, okay? Because we do conferences to promote other conferences and book sales and things like that. But as a lot of you know, last weekend I was involved with the first ever um, all-county, Rockland County basic conference. We had representatives from multiple high schools. Um, the fascinating thing is we did not draw in the numbers we expected. We expected between at least two to 300, maybe even 500 people. It's a much smaller group. Yet the word was preached with passion. Every breakout group brought greater glory. There was a move of the spirit there that was undeniable and untangible that is still affecting the young people that were there right now and affecting the adults that were there right now. So I want to thank you, those of you who prayed for us and who are praying for the event. Um, and I want to encourage you See, one of the problems with the low numbers, and this is what I mean, we think numbers are everything. But God said is nothing for God to deliver by many or by few. The only worry we had with the numbers being low is we invested a lot of money in the conference. Can I tell you, even though the numbers were very few, God covered every debt so that we ended completely debt-free. We were able to honor our speakers with a small gift to each one of them. And so God moved, God was glorified, lives were transformed. And people put on the big conference and say, oh, but see, it wasn't worth it because you didn't get the money. No, no. If we had lost money, it'd be worth it for the kingdom. But this is what I mean. If we concern ourselves with the things of God, God wasn't going to let us go in the red financially. He just wasn't going to do it. And I'm thankful God's math is not our math. It doesn't make sense. But he provides for his children. He's a good father. I don't know who needed to hear that, but somebody did. Friends, family, God loves you. He's looking out for you. Okay? And we love you too. Just not as much as he does because we never could. We'd like to, but we can't. Thank you for your support of Kolkata Christ Ministries. Please remember... Um, to give, um, your giving really does help a lot. Um, a lot more than you think on levels you wouldn't know. Thank you. Have a wonderful, wonderful night. A glorious Easter Sunday. Yes, Resurrection Sunday, I know. Listen, no bunnies and eggs here. We're all about Jesus. Have a great, great week. And may the peace of Passover be yours as we come into this Passover week. Shalom. God bless. We love you.
and we'll see you, God willing, next Saturday. Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye. Good night and God bless.